0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to incredible people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Ian McCausland has been a professional photographer for over 31 years. He's gone from studying photography in high school to taking photos for clients all across the world. Ian is one of the best and most respected in the business, and a lot can change in an industry in three decades. From developing photos in dark rooms to Polaroids to the digital revolution, and Ian has been through it all.
1: You know, he's thinking about that Maya Angelou quote about how you know nobody will remember what you said, but how you made them feel, right? Mm. And even as a photographer, I think that's important. I, you know. The photos are one thing, but how you feel in front of my camera is important. Aside from his career, he's also a
0: vocal proponent for positive change in his city. He ran for office in 2016, and he's been a part of many movements that fight for social change. I sat down with Ian to talk about his upcoming TEDx talk, his 50 by 50 project, utilizing technology in the creative process, and the importance of telling stories through art.
1: Because art can inspire new ideas, and new ideas can make things happen.
0: Ian, I'm Ian McLaughlin, thank you for uh, being on the Because and Effect podcast. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for having me. That's our
0: pleasure. Um, you've been a photographer for the Winnipeg Foundation for many, how many years?
1: I, I haven't done the exact math, but it's... Probably been fifteen years. 15 years? Yeah. Cool.
0: How did that all get? How did that relationship get started? Do you remember the first shoot or anything that far back?
1: Uh, well, Daryl Hartle who's the designer who does all the work, he brought me in because he already had a working relationship with uh, Luann with the design. With the yeah, with yeah. the design from, and so then uh, the two of us sort of started working together, and it's been very cool. Ever since,
0: uh, so you've been doing photography for thirty plus years. Yeah, thirty-one bring years. Bring me back to the beginning when you decided I could probably do this for a career.
1: Uh, well, I took it all through high school. So I took a vocational course at Sturgeon Creek for. So I studied it for at least two hours a day every day in high school. Wow. Then I took a year off and was uh, took a took a year off to do um, a gap year. I guess I I was in Katimovic, which was that volunteer program that they send you all over Canada to do volunteer work. Then I came back, and then did two years of photography at Red River, and then all through that 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 time, I was working at a camera store. So it was you really knew from the beginning. I kind of fell into. I mean, I always knew I wanted to do something creative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the you know originally, I thought maybe I could draw, but then most photographers are frustrated illustrators. Ah. <laughs> so uh, once I realized that I couldn't really. I wasn't as good a illustrator as I thought I would be. I thought, well, you know, maybe photography is a great way to Mm -hmm. do the same thing.
0: And uh, how has that changed over the 30 years? Like the technology alone has been mind boggling. I'm sure you were probably, you know, Polaroids and, and in dark rooms making photos. So how has that changed how you approach work?
1: Well, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, the technology has changed profoundly, of course, from that move from, and I right was sort of in the middle of my career there, where we moved from film-based and chemical-based imaging, and then we right. moved over to digital, so it was a really interesting time to be involved, and uh, it really made you kind of have to take a really hard look at what, what it is that you bring to, or what your value is, mm. because suddenly, you know, your value Uh, during the film days was as almost a bit more technical, a little more of a technician because there was so much science and Mm. technical stuff involved. And then once that stuff kind of got easier, I wouldn't say it was entirely easy when we first went digital, but you know, once the tools changed, we really had to, you know, as photographers, we had to really look at how do we market ourselves and how do we look at how we value ourselves. Did you have to
0: almost re-embrace the artistic side of it and like sell yourself as an artist more than more than a scientist as it were
1: a little bit yeah I mean you basically had to you know I had to do some I guess I had to do some inner work and figure out like what's my value proposition what are the Mm. things that I do that are so different than every everyone else Um, because it's not just about making sure you know that piece of film was exposed properly so you know and it's only just progressed as the technology's gotten easier to use um you know creatives have to really look at what it what value they bring to a to an opportunity
0: do you think that's been a challenge because now everyone has a pretty decent phone or f- yeah, phone. camera in their pocket right yeah. so like how has that changed has it been more almost like uh there's just so many photo quote unquote photographers out there now and and now you kind of have to be like well yes but here's what i can do
1: yeah, I mean, I saw it coming with the desktop, rev- uh, desktop publishing revolution mm-hmm. where suddenly all these graphic designers ha- were competing with guys who bought computers in their basements, right? And now I'm, I'm kind of dealing with that with everyone's got a phone that takes a pretty decent picture. So what, what is it that I'm bringing that your phone doesn't do? And, you know, that's, that's the... So I had to do some of the work to kind of figure out how to, how to present that and how to market that and how to um, understand that so I can sell it to you know, my clients. For sure. What's one, uh, one or a bunch of
0: the, your most memorable and favorite uh, photo shoots or even just photos themselves?
1: Um, I had a really neat opportunity. I've done some work for the Northwest Company over the years, and we did sort of a day in the life uh, story for their annual report one year. I think it was 1999. It was still film and we essentially traveled the entire width of the arctic in in about 5 days and focused on like 15 communities almost like 3 communities a day and we kind of tried to tell the whole story of of you know everybody doing everything in the in the arctic wow yeah so what sorts of moments did you capture that that stayed with you um well, I mean, the Arctic's just a, um, a special place. I mean, you know, the communities there. Is there a are, harshness there? that? Yeah, I mean, it's a harsh beauty and stuff. I know I, I was listening to your conversation with Cal, and mm-hmm. she kind of spoke to some of that. Um, it's just the opportunity. You know, I've had some amazing opportunities through some of my clients to see the lesser-known corners of Canada. So years ago, I did, some, I did a lot of annual report work for Ducks Unlimited, So we were focusing and telling stories in, you know, really small communities. So we'd fly into the major cities and then promptly, you know, drive for four hours and find these little small towns where people were doing really interesting work. You know, so I've I've been really fortunate to see, you know, all the far flung corners of of the country, like literally every corner all the way up to, you know hangerton on baffin island kind of thing that's wicked so, yeah what's your favorite is are, do you prefer portraits
0: or do you prefer nature what's your favorite thing to shoot
1: i enjoy working with people i think that's you know again you know speaking to that that work i had to do to figure out you know what my value is i think my the where i my strengths are is that i enjoy working with people and work and photographing people um i've done a lot of work talks for different camera clubs and you know a lot of those serious hobbyists they always sort of cite you know photographing people as their toughest thing to do you know whereas they love going out and doing landscapes or nature or whatever and but for some reason you know i i've always enjoyed you know connecting with people through photography so i find that you know Photographing people is what I enjoy the most
0: when 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 you're when you're speaking to um, Different photographers and they cite that as one of the things that they find difficulty And is it just the social aspect of it? Or what what is it about taking photos of people that they find difficult? And how do you um, what advice do you give them when when they say that?
1: Yeah, I think I think it is a you know it because it is a very it's a it's a relationship even a temporary one Mm -hmm. you know In the same way you and I are are connecting right now with voice, I'm connecting with a camera. And and then it's also a confidence level of knowing your tools and being able to, you know, communicate what you wanted to say about that person. Um, Mm. So usually, you know, what I tell people is just really get to know um, the tools that you're using, the cameras, the lights, all that kind of stuff. So that all that stuff goes by the wayside and you can really concentrate on connecting with your subject. Interesting.
0: Is there someone or, uh, yeah, who, who have you not taken a photo of that would be your number one person that you could do a photo shoot with?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Oh, there's countless, you know, celebrities and movie stars that <laughs> you think, Oh, there's just such interesting people. But again, I've had, you know, locally, I've had some amazing opportunities. To photograph, you know, kind of a who's who of of Winnipeg For over sure. the years, and um, so, you know, I'm I'm feeling very fortunate. I've had i ma- I've managed to photograph a lot of different people. Is there a photo
0: or a person that um, there's a p- particular photo that tells an amazing story in just that one shot? Doesn't have to be Winnipeg. Can be anything
1: that I've taken. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. Um. Let me think about that. Sure. Yeah. I've, yeah, had, I've taken a lot of well, photos. <laughs> it, it,
0: I think that's the biggest struggle for any artist is to be able to convey a story in whatever medium, like whether it's a painting that we see on the walls around us here or a photo or a song. Like if you can tell a story and capture a human moment in that particular medium, like that's that's the goal. That's the way win. you're, you're winning, right? Yeah. So how do you uh, teach a young person to look for those moments or to capture those moments or to, or to aim for those moments.
1: You know, I was thinking about that on the way down here, you know, I was thinking about some of the work that I do here for the foundation. And, you know, over the years we've realized that there's, there's a lot of value with being fully informed on the story that we're trying to tell, you know, so if, if the copy's already written, uh, give me an opportunity to read that story. Um, And if I can't, Get If the story's not written yet, then I do the research. You know, I kind of, again, I was listening to your conversation with Ace and how he was talking about, you know, if that jet said nothing, he'd still be able to carry the conversation. And I think as photographers, if you're going to photograph somebody, the least you can do is put in a little bit of effort and make sure you understand why you you've been tasked to photograph this person and also how you what you want to say about them right right? know their life story a little bit know where
0: they're coming from so you can kind of capture who they who you think they are at least and then you can kind of tell that um so what sort of media or where do you get inspiration from what are what do you what kind of who what photographers maybe or what different uh artists or who do you get inspired by
1: I do a ton of reading. I think, you know, I think that's almost becoming a lost art. I think, you know, if I tell uh, younger photographers coming up is to, you know, just be, you know, insanely curious and read about all sorts of things. Because the more informed you are about life, right, the more life experience you have, the more you can carry those conversations. In terms of photographers that that I've been inspired by, you know, I was thinking back to when I was in college. I actually studied to be a photojournalist and um but the photographer that i really admired was a guy by the name of Eugene Smith okay. and he used to do these photo stories for life magazine and um, so it wasn't just like one image he would t- he he would do these multi-page spreads in life magazines where he would tell stories mm-hmm. and that really resonated with me because it was like you know, storytelling through images is sort of, you know, what I really enjoy doing.
0: That's kind of what the 50 by 50 is a little bit, because there's a whole bunch of different photos. It's not just one photo of a person and then a write-up. Tell me, uh, for people who haven't heard of it, what the 50 by 50 project
1: uh, is all about. It's a, it's a personal project I cooked up. Um, again, you know, the, the advice for most creative professionals is to always have like a personal project underway, you know, just something that's yours that no client can tell you what to do and you just make it your own. And I was approaching my 50th birthday and I thought, you know, I, I'm not one to really worry about birthdays, but this one was really bugging me. Mm-hmm. So I thought, who am I going to talk to to seek support about that? And so I thought, Oh, I'll just talk to other 50 year olds and then I'll take their portraits and maybe we can learn something. So I decided to f- profile 50 different 50 year olds. Um, originally I started on my 50th birthday and I thought I would get it done in my 50th year. I was a tad ambitious, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, but it's been really great. You know, if anything, um, one of the things I found, I thought it was going to be a photo project with a little bit of a profile but it's actually flipped and now it's more of a profile project with a couple photos in Mm -hmm. between because i just realized that you know once you really get into people's journeys there's there's bigger stories that you want to tell you know and uh, i just found you know a couple bullet points wasn't going to do it justice for sure so what have you
0: learned from how many have you done so far and what have you learned from them
1: i'm just about done i've got like one more to do cool and uh what have I learned? Well, first thing I've learned is that when you're 50 years old, you're really, really busy. Mm. You know, I've found, um, not only am I, you know, busy with all sorts of things, but all these 50 year olds, you're kind of at the top of your career arc. You're, you're busy with family. You've, you know, maybe you're raising kids. You've got, you know, some aging parents to take care of that kind of thing. So, um, we're just really in the zone. Like we're really doing everything. Lots of
0: things are converging at once. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then what little time you have left over, you you feel, you know, that you want to uh, pursue your passions. Right. So um, that was one of the first lessons. Um, but there's, you know, I think... It's uh I you know I was l- thinking about it and it was like what's the big epiphany what was the big big take home message and I think it dawned on me that when you're 50 years old you realize there there aren't that many epiphanies in life you're actually yeah. just living your first half of your life figuring out how to do it and now you're going to live your best half the second half
0: it's beautiful yeah do you think about sort of just aging in general a lot or like when when you say you were um, worried about 50 or that bugged you is what you said what what bugged it about you or what what about it bugged
1: you well like i said i'm not one to worry about ages or even like think about how old people are but like 50 is a half a century right so even when you're not worried about ages that's a milestone and um you 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 even, you know, some of the subjects I've talked to, they say the same thing. They're like, I'm not really one to celebrate birthdays, but this one, I feel like I really need to stop and reflect. And it's just sort of a real signpost in your life to maybe pause and reflect on the journey that you've had so far.
0: Partially because it's a life you typically fairly fully lived by that point. Like you've done a lot in most cases, especially of the ones that I've read, but also you now have the time a little bit to, to reflect.
1: Definitely. Yeah. 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 Um,
0: has having kids affected that for you?
1: Yeah. Once you become, in my case, once I became a father, that, puts a different perspective on on your life and and your life's path and you know the other end of it you've got aging parents you know I've had Mm -hmm. uh, parents pass away so you've gone through the end of life so you you know you've you've experienced both those extremes and you're smack dab in the middle so you're 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 you know you're dealing with both those things almost at the same time
0: Um, We talked a little bit about how photography has changed over the years in the sort of digital age. Do you ever get concerned about your son growing up in the Internet age with all the social media and all that stuff that's around us now?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that on the way here because I was kind of reflecting on my digital journey because, you know, I kind of came of age with the technology. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm of an age where like computer like I got a computer for Christmas when I was in my teens and then uh, I hopped on the internet in the early 90s, like pre web. So I was kind of part of that first internet bubble where it was truly just like geeks that were online, right? And we were, it, you know, the promise of online technology was huge. Like it just dawned on us that, wait a minute, we're going to be all interconnected. Like this could be the huge. Potential. Right. And I still, I still feel that, you know, as much as we've, we can highlight some of that scary stuff, there's so many more instances where it's been positive, where it's, you know, the connections made digitally, um, far outweigh the negative. Like, so, um, you know, I think about his point and, you know, my son's 14, I think about when I was 14, how isolated I felt, how alone I felt. And just even through my my interests, because I you know nobody else I knew was into the stuff I was into, and now I can connect with anybody in the world on whatever I'm into. Like my 14 year old self would have loved the internet, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because now there's a community, there's a niche for every little corner of whatever you happen to be. If you're into you know building model airplanes from World War II era, there's probably hundreds of people in a group right now talking about it. Oh yeah. Right? So like hard. I was
1: into, I was into, you know, new wave and, and, and industrial music when everyone else was into heavy metal. And it seems so, so odd now to talk about it, but you know, I had to like hide those records cause nobody wanted to, you know, you weren't allowed to be into that kind of music. It seems so weird now uh-huh. when I talk about it, but now it's like, you know, of course now you can actually talk to the band, Right. you know, like I was, I was reading liner notes, trying to figure out their names. <laughs> Yeah, or read, uh, re-
0: I I always reflect on the, uh, I would always open the books and just read along with albums. Now there aren't, you don't really have, you don't really download an album anymore. You just kind of pick and choose songs here and there, or, or they have YouTube videos where you can watch the, watch the songs as they're coming along. Uh, has, I mean, we talked about this before, but has technology changed how you approach music as well? Like
1: uh, your, your enjoyment of music? Oh Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there's just more of it now. It's more accessible, and um, I've spent a lot of money on on CDs and records back in the day, and, and of course, the streaming thing is a, a lot different, um, but I've discovered more music that through this yeah. technology, right?
0: Yeah. That's pretty cool. Is there a piece of equipment that you will never get rid of, no matter how the technology m- may, may seem to make it obsolete?
1: Well, I've kept some film cameras just because, you know... The gearhead in me kind of you know appreciates the design of them, mm. so I've got some I've got you know a, a thirty-five millimeter film camera from when I used to use it. I've got a, a you know those old uh, press cameras, the big the big ones you see in the forties. Oh, I've got one of those that folds out right and takes the big pieces of film that are four by five inches, um, and I hoped one day convert it to for um, a process called wet plate, which is a, a hundred hundred-year-old process where you actually you know coat the the film on through a piece of tin and expose it that way oh, you know wow. that kind of thing
0: that's kind of, that's definitely a lost art um,
1: it's actually come back again other people you know, do it then? yeah i guess
0: uh, everything's kind of cyclical like
1: that right? yeah with with again with that with the internet the resources and and the lessons learned from other people you can you know get up to speed on some of these cool things r- really quickly
0: yeah, there's so many, you can YouTube any, you can learn, I mean, that's how I tie my ties, anytime I need to put a tie on is how to tie a tie, and then yeah. you have someone on YouTube tying a tie for you. I mean, yeah. that's a very basic example, but you can learn software, hardware, you can probably you can build an engine, you know, <laughs> anything like that. Um, was there a time when the internet first sort of started blossoming that you were concerned about people's tendency to focus on the negative and focus on sort of the loud complainers, and negativity that the internet and social media especially kind of brings forth.
1: I'm sure it, you know, all that, that negativity was o- always there, mm. but it only feels like in the last, you know, maybe five to eight years that it's really feels like it's manifested itself. Um, you know, those early days when we were on BBSs and dialing into the university to get on the internet. It truly was just a bunch of geeks and we were just so enamored with the technology. Hey, we're, we're connected, you know? Um, so I think it's really just social media and the way it's become so easy to, and also uh, um, become, uh, you know, the, it's been so easy to become anonymous too, mm-hmm. right? Do you think that growing up
0: not knowing what it was like to be disconnected, now people are just comfortable. This is how we express ourselves. You're like, this is how we complain now. Before, you'd know, you'd call up your buddy and be like, ah, I don't think this is going right. We should do something about it. Now it's like you tweet it out or you make a post about it. Is that the reason that people feel the not maybe not the need, but the ability to do it is so easy?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the technology just makes it easy to complain. You know, you can flip, <laughs> flick that outrage button so easily now. Yeah. And, you know, people don't have a chance to be bored or disconnected and in, in perhaps, a, you know, a moment of reflection before they communicate that stuff. So, I, you know, I think it's changing. I think it's people are starting to recognize that there's ways that we can tool the technology so that we have that moment of reflection.
0: Before you, yeah, tweet first and think
1: later. Yeah. You know,
0: maybe think first, tweet later. Do you consider yourself an activist? Would you call yourself that?
1: No. No? No. no. Why? Um, well, I think an activist is somebody who's super passionate about, about one thing and is mm. willing to really, really go hard on that. And, you know, I'm, I'm just too into so many different things. <laughs> too spread out. But, I mean, yeah. you
0: do support causes and you're vocal about things that you do support.
1: Yeah, you know, I I know that I'm one of those people, you know, you read about how, you know, only 10% of the people create 80% of the content. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a stat that we were talking about, you know, even before the web, right? It was, you know, command line. And it was like, oh, there was only a few of us doing the talking and the rest of us were lurkers back then. Um, So I understand that I'm I'm going to be part of that 10% that furthers along the conversation. And I know that that's kind of my... That sometimes is my role in some in some situations.
0: I think it's interesting to ponder the percentage of people who are reasonable, arguing in good faith, sort of having people's best interests at mind versus trolls or versus people who are just kind of typing away randomly. Do you feel a sense of um, obligation to kind of balance out the insanity that we see on a day-to-day basis?
1: Definitely, yeah. You know, like, like I don't... When I share a story on facebook or when i you know post something on twitter i'm always thinking about how i can foster a, a, a honest conversation even if the issue is contentious uh, if we can just you know utilize the technology to have a have a constructive conversation that doesn't div- you know dissolve into fighting i think we're moving everything forward a little bit
0: yeah and that kind of seem it seemed like We're getting there now and understanding the importance of it, whereas the sort of early days of social media is just a wild west of like whoever yells the loudest gets the most sort of feedback on them a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Do you monitor or see how um not monitor is the wrong word, but do you see how your son interacts with technology when it comes to socializing and, and do you are you concerned or are you you think they'll just kind of figure it out their generation?
1: Uh, obviously concerned, you know, because he's in his teen years. So, you know, good and bad ideas could be spread really easily through social. Um, but you know, I've always thought it, you know, this technology isn't going away. Right. So he's gotta, he's gotta learn to create the tools that help him deal with the technology. Like you can't put the genie back in the bottle, you know, so you, you only hope that you can, you know, inspire him with a set of values that he can take wherever he wherever he goes or whatever conversation he's in yeah for sure um a lot of
0: people i mean we're talking about online kind of complainers but a lot of people just don't actually do something to change it um you threw your hat into the political ring in 2016 what motivated you to actually want to get up and do something as opposed to just kind of seeing where things are going and complaining about it
1: well, I've always been kind of a doer. I know I've I've sat on some volunteer commu- uh, committees for different events and stuff, and I'm always the person who kind of, you know, okay, roll up your sleeves, let's get down to work. Um, you know, the decision to get to run for political office kind of came came from that. It's like you know, I'm I'm born and raised, and now still live in St. James, and I saw that community kind of uh, changing. You know, the the demographics are changing communities growing and we just need to make sure we have some leadership that at least recognizes that and prepares it for the big changes that are coming Mm -hmm. and sort of represents the
0: the needs of everyone as opposed to one group perhaps yeah definitely
1: you know um there's some some perceptions of what our you know our area of the city is supposed to be like and what it's really like Mm -hmm. can be different in terms of demographics so you know some of the decisions that are made in your community should be based on a um, you know a more inclusive approach.
0: How can you encourage the average person who wants to make a difference but doesn't know how to? Like, what would you say to that person?
1: Um, you know, just articulate the desire to to help. Articulate the desire that that you want to change, and chances are somebody's going to hear you and say, "I've got just the thing." Right. Um, but make sure you pick something that you can feel passionate about like don't don't do something that you're not you're not passionate about um because that passion's going to fuel you because it's going to be it's going to feel like work at times but at um so you want to be you want to feel motivated
0: was there some was there anything that surprised you about the sort of systems that are in place that you had to navigate through when you're when you're throwing your hat in to the ring
1: in the political system yeah yeah, I think, you know, through through working on a couple campaigns and and running one myself, I think you realize that it's there's value in in, you know, learning from other people some of the ins and outs of the of the actual electoral system because it's it's it can be a bit daunting if you've never done it before. And um and working on a couple of campaigns and just, you know, going door to door, you, you start to, you know, when you knock on doors, you see what really motivates people because they'll tell you right away mm-hmm. <laughs> whether or not it's got anything to do with the office you're running for. Right. Um, so people are, are incredibly forthright about what's, what their concerns are when you knock on their door.
0: <laughs> for sure. Was there anything that surprised you about that whole process?
1: Just how much work it is. Mm. I mean I think we're the the system I think it is you know it it, it allows for anybody to participate but you really have to commit like almost every waking moment and that mm. that and a whole bunch of resources so that's really challenging if you're if you don't have those resources or you don't have that time and money or energy so as much as the, we have a democratic system I think you know it's really challenging to Embrace it in a way that that's truly effective
0: Right or truly open to everyone to if they have if they want if they have the desire to make a change But don't have the resources So how do we? How would you change the system to allow those people to have a more of a voice?
1: Well, I'll give you an example like um, You know bus benches and recycling bins and things like that Th- those those are hundreds of dollars a month Right. So mm-hmm. if you wanted to, if you wanted to run as a candidate, you have to raise that kind of money to pay for that kind of stuff. Whereas if you wanted to sponsor a, a Facebook ad for a hundred bucks, that might be able to get in front of more people. You know. So I think knowing who you who you want to talk to and choosing your resources wisely are I think is key. Yeah, I you guess know?
0: technology has helped sort of even the playing field a little bit. Like a lot of um Candidates who embrace the social, who embrace technology and embrace the social media and, and really kind of use that as their, as their main method of communication tend to bridge the gap between someone with a ton more resources because they're kind of spending them a little bit smarter, I guess.
1: Yeah, and it also allows for, for people to see who you genuinely are. If you're, if you're using the tools properly, I'll have, a, I'll have a fuller picture of who you are as a candidate or as, as a person. And I'm gonna feel a lot more um, informed about you know what's motivating you. Yeah, right. So, as a lifelong
0: Winnipegger, how have you watched the city grow and change over your over your entire life? Have you been always been optimistic about it? Has there been times where you're like, ah, oh, we gotta we gotta make things better? Or?
1: Well, the you know I started my business in 1988, so it was just in time for that re- recession of the early 90s. And, you know, back then, um, anybody who was under 30 was getting out of town. Like, you know, you graduated and you left, right? First, it was Vancouver because Vancouver was booming ahead of uh, 97. And then it kind of morphed into Calgary. But it was like, go Go west, west, yeah. Yeah, get out of here. And that was the prevailing attitude for anyone under 30. Um, Of course, you know, we don't see that now. Mm. And some of those people that I know, my sister included, you know, They moved out west and they've moved back, you know, so as much as you can point to all the different concerns and problems the city has, you you think about where we've come from in the last 30 years, we've made some great progress.
0: Do you think the benefit is the community aspect? I feel like a lot of people I talk to are like, when I'm from a small town and I get the vibe that Winnipeg is a big small town and the benefits of that of being able to walk down the street or go out at night and see someone that, you know, and be able to make those connections almost to a fault. Like there's, you know, too many people, right. That you run into, you think that's the main draw? Definitely.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, a sense of community, whether it's the larger community or a smaller one that you're, you're a part of, um, yeah. I mean, you. I've talked to lots of people who've moved away and they find it hard to make those kinds of connections that just sort of occur here naturally. On the flip side of it, you know, I've talked to other people who've moved here from other, other places. And because that sense of community is so tight, it's kind of hard to break through sometimes. Mm. So because, you know... Your circle of friends includes, you know, the three guys you started kindergarten with, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, hi, I just moved from Seattle. And we're like, dude, I don't even know you, right? So <laughs> I, I've seen the, the flip side of it. You know, people coming into this community, it's hard to. But once you break through and make those connections, even if you move away, those connections last for a lifetime.
0: What would you say is the best way to break in, to, 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 to crack a Winnipeggers uh, cold heart and, and, and get there?
1: Uh, You know, I think volunteering and Mm -hmm. getting involved in different causes, obviously, those are great social uh, settings where you get to connect with people on a real authentic level around a common cause. You know, I think those are always great opportunities to make. I've made some great connections just through the different, you know, things that I've been involved in. And the Jets doesn't hurt either, too, if you... Yeah, white jersey. Party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Going <laughs> yeah. down.
0: So at the end of our time together, I've been asking everyone uh, a set of seven questions that we're calling Just Because, where I don't want you to think about it too much. Just answer whatever pops on the top of your head and we'll kind of go from there. Are You okay with that? Yep. Okay. Awesome. First question. Uh, what is the first cause that you remember caring about?
1: Uh, the first time I realized that I could make a difference in a, with a cause, actually, I tell this story a lot. Um, I was at a country fair and they were handing out buttons. And I I've, I did the math and this was like 1973 or something. Okay. And I wore an uh, ERA button, which is the first wave of feminism, ERA movement. And so there I was, a little seven or eight year old walking around this county fair wearing this button. And just, I, I was watching how all the adults were reacting. Like some guys would point and laugh. Some, some guys were like, why are you wearing that button? And some people were, you know, kind of snickering. And then I, re- I realized that like, it was a real big moment for me to realize that, you know, just by wearing a, a button with three letters on it, I could, I could make all these adults react. That was a very powerful moment for me. So the ideas can make, make things happen. I had, no, uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't really aware of, of the context, of, the context of it, but that, that, that experience stayed with me. And I realized that, you know, ideas have power. Yeah
0: what about in adolescence was there ever a moment that you rallied behind a cause just to get those reactions or to change the sort of public uh, opinion of something?
1: Well, I know my experience in Katimovic, we, you know, this was back in 1986 and the, the program was characterized as crunchy granola back then because we were composting and recycling, and making everything from scratch, all our food from scratch wow. um, back in the eighties. And that was unheard of. For like sure. nobody composted back then. And we had to like make a composter and we were separating our food and, and people thought that was insane, right? Like they, they thought that was crazy. Recycling, why? And now here we are, like it's just an everyday part of our lives, hmm. you know? So, you know, I was kind of aware of like those kinds of issues early on in my teens and that kind of stayed with me so i'm, I'm pretty passionate about yeah. about composting everything at home and recycling sure. yeah
0: are you optimistic about the way sort of the activism is going when it comes to the environment and stuff or are you pessimistic
1: um no i don't think it's being i don't think it's 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 happening fast enough i you know I know I was listening to somebody and they were characterizing it about, you know, it was climate change was something I thought I would worry about for my grandkids. But now I'm actually worried about my son. Like this is getting real. So I think pretty soon we're going to feel that urgency and we're going to and the urgency is going to manifest itself in some real change. It seems like it's
0: bubbling below the surface,
1: but we're not quite like.
0: Yeah. We need some as horrible as this is maybe to say but you need almost like a catastrophic event to make people realize how um horrifying and real this is right like not that i want that to happen but that's what's going to make the general populace understand we got to do something
1: yeah well i mean we walk outside and go hey the weather's weird like how much more do you need right what cause do you say that you most support right now well, I know the fund that I started here at the foundation is about um, the arts community, so I'm pretty passionate about um, the arts community here. Um, I know, you know, when when there's time to make cuts, when the when the bean counters want to start talking about saving money, that you know some of the arts programs are the first things that are that are targeted, and um, I don't think everyone understands or values how much the arts community you know, contributes to the to the social fabric of our community, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty passionate about the arts community.
0: Well, that bleeds into the second question. Uh, if money,
1: if politics
0: and logistics were no concern at all, what's the first thing you would do in support of the arts?
1: Um, I, w- I would love to see some sort of, you know, universal basic income programs that allows people to be creative without fear, you know worrying about how to pay the rent or feed themselves mm-hmm. yeah something like that
0: do you think that that's an optimistic perspective i hear the the counter argument is if people have if you just give people money they won't do anything but i am on your side of the argument that if you give, if you, if people's needs are met, then they can focus on their passions and their creativity and their, but do you think that's optimistic that the average person would actually do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, even, you know, and we, you and I have talked about this before about universal basic income, and it's not even just for visual artists, but if, if, if you're, if you're well fed and taken care of, then you can tackle some of the other issues, right? It doesn't even need to be the arts, right? Right, like, whatever, no, whatever your whatever passions it is. are. Exactly, yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Question number three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about the cause that you care about?
1: Well, I, again, I just, ta- you know, I just kind of spoke to it about how, you know, people think it is, um, it's uh, not as vital, hmm. you know. Like um, socially vital. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. I've been involved in this movement called Help Portrait where myself and a bunch of photographers get together every year around the holidays and we do family portraits for people in need who couldn't afford that. And yes, there's tons of programs that provide for people, you know, in terms of food or shelter and things like that. Um, But why can't, you know, why can't people have memories documented? Why can't they gather as a family and have that image and say, you know, here's our family and create that memory, right? Mm -hmm. That's just a small example of how, you know, the arts, Um, can affect the way people think about their self-worth or you know their place in society yeah and then
0: that has ripple effects on you know their confidence to improve or or to to better the world or better better themselves yeah yeah question number four how do you know when it's time to throw in the towel
1: hmm that's a very like throw in the towel in the sense of what
0: well I've been sort of rephrasing this to people, but how do you know when it's time to pivot and change a a plan if a plan isn't really going right?
1: If you're not getting the results you want, if you're not... I think the key is to figure out what your true motivations are, what your true intent is, and to make sure that those are being met. So, you know, if you are involved in something... What's what's the reason for you to be involved and make sure in, and be honest mm. and then understand whether or not those needs are going to be met. And then if they're not, then, then change it, you know.
0: That requires self-reflection and con- like constant assessment and self-reflection, I guess, too.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I've kind of referenced that a few times in this interview, but I think it's really important that people... Um, do the work in terms of, you know, creating a level of self-awareness so that you, you can make really informed decisions about what, what you want in your life. Right. Yeah.
0: And be honest with yourself too. That's hard for people. Very hard. Question number five, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
1: Um, as a photographer, I remember, you know, one of my mentors saying, just be prolific. Mm -hmm. And that's, and it's something that I tell, you know, the next gen coming up, it's like, chances are, you're not taking as many photos as you, as you should, especially now in the world of distraction, you can sit there and spend all night tweaking up your website or fine tuning your Instagram feed. But that, that distracts you from the core reason. If you're going to be a photographer, your core purpose is to take photos. And the only way you get better is to take a lot of photos make a lot of mistakes, do the work, right? And it sounds so simple, but that's the core. So that's the best professional advice. What about the best personal advice? Hmm. You know, I think I I still kind of take that work ethic and just apply it to my life. Like, just do stuff, right? Like, don't don't sit there and wonder what things would be like and just get out there and and embrace the experiences and get out into the world, you know, and through the, through the doing, you'll, you'll find your way. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Number six, what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could talk to him right now?
1: I would say, um, don't worry. You're not alone. You know, again, you know, talking back to even, even at that early age, I felt like I was, um, different than other uh, everyone else around me and i would say you know just hold on there's going to be this thing that allow you to connect all these other people you know so i i would say don't you know don't worry you're not you're not alone in what you're thinking and and be true to yourself and stay stay true to your to who you are
0: i used to think that that was a universal experience of like this sense of aloneness for especially for adolescents do you think that that was just a symptom of of our lack of connectivity and now the internet and all this can erase that or do you think that that's just inherent with a young man or a young young woman growing up?
1: I think it's definitely part of the journey, but you know, we can we can ease some of that isolation and some of that feeling with 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 ways of, you know, surrounding yourself with people who can at least appreciate or understand what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Question number seven, what do you want to be remembered for?
1: Um, I want to be remembered for the photos I made. I want to, but not only, you know, I was thinking about that Maya Angelou quote about how, you know, nobody will remember what you said, but how you made them feel. Right. Mm. And even as a photographer, I think that's important. I, you know, the photos are one thing, but how you feel in front of my camera is important. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the most gratifying thing as a photographer is when people who come in are really anxious about getting their picture taken. And then they, they leave and they go, wow, that was that was way less painful than I thought. And I think, you know, if I can make that process a little easier for everyone, that's a pretty good legacy. Whether or not the pictures last, you know, everything is, in, is you know subject to change right the pictures don't last but if that feeling lasts and also just you know that i that i tried to make the world a little bit you know better than the way i left it you know before i left it um you know so i'm going to continue to look at different ways i can kind of you know try and make my community better
0: well i feel like i'm better off for having talked to you and you know met you and all that so part of that is at least happening uh thank you for doing the podcast thank you for being here thank you for all the photos you take and stories you tell and and everything Ian McCausin, thanks so much thank you Thank you again to Ian McCausland, photographer extraordinaire, for our conversation. Uh, I love his perspective on things. He is such a rad individual. Uh, I'm extremely thankful he was gracious enough to be our guest on Because and Effect today. If you know a creative that's looking to get into the industry or to make a career out of something artistic, I think they would benefit from listening to this uh, particular podcast. Send them a link. I think a lot of Ian's advice and perspective on things... Um, When it comes to being creative and being a professional in this day and age, are pretty relevant no matter where you are in your career, especially that advice of uh, where he said to be prolific. It's really great stuff, and I think it's very, very valid. All music on the Because and Effect podcast was produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can visit his website at trentonburton.com. The Cause and Effect is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation. I'd like to especially thank Jeremy Morantz, Robert Zirk, and Sonny Promolo for production assistance. My name is Nolan Bicknell. You can follow me at Nolan Bicknell on all social media, and you can follow the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN as well. New episodes of Because and Effect launch every Tuesday. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you go to becauseandeffect.org, you can subscribe so you'll never miss another episode. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. And remember, there are people that you haven't met yet that are really going to rely on you someday. Bye-bye.